Good evening. I was uh, very blessed by the pre-service prayer time. Um, if you were too late to get to experience that pre-service prayer time, um, I do urge you go back in the YouTube and um, kind of rewind back and hear what uh, John took us through. Um, I think that was just a really great renewal of grace. Um, so do uh, get to know that once again. Well, welcome to Good Friday at New Life. Um, it's great to be with you again uh, for Good Friday. Um, as Paul mentioned at the top of the service, uh, New Life is a place where we glorify God in the gospel of grace. Um, as we think about that, though, you know, one of the questions that comes to mind is, what do we do, though, when the good news doesn't sound so good? It doesn't feel so good sometimes. You know, we're often told in these times by very well-meaning brothers and sisters um, that we need to know God. You know, if we know God, things will get better. You know, we're told to be comforted by him, but how do we actually get to know this God? That's the question that we aim to uh, resolve today. Now, when the good news doesn't feel so good, we can look to Good Friday. So today is the perfect day for you guys to come out. Um, it's paradoxically named. So uh, John explained a little bit about what Good Friday is all about. Um, it, it is a paradox because though our savior uh, was the sinless one, he was the only innocent one, he suffered an unjust criminal's death on the cross, and yet it's good because of what it accomplished for us, so it's very good for us. Uh, it's in Good Friday that we can actually get to know who God is or what God is like. We can see as we look to his son, Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, how about I pray for us and then we'll get into the word for tonight. Father, you say to us in the word that in this life we will face many troubles in this world and we will come across many troubles. And you promise this, Lord, not as a way of hurting us, but you warn us in advance so that we won't be taken by surprise. We know, Lord, that life isn't all just happiness, uh, life isn't all just joy, but there's a lot of sorrow ahead as well, Lord, and some of us might be going through it in this time as we struggle with our vulnerability as humanity. But Lord, we wanna to look to you in this time, God, and we wanna know you, the one that comforts us, the one that knows us, the one that is near to us. We see you and we see your son Jesus as a suffering servant. We see the way that he came to this earth. We see the way that he draws near to us and invites us to draw near to him. And we wanna do that tonight, God. Would you lead us and guide us, God? Help us, Lord, to be able to face our own humanity, which we're not willing to face sometimes. We like to think of ourselves as invincible. We like to believe that we'll be okay. Help us, Lord, to not be okay tonight and to face Jesus not being okay, that we might enter into him. We pray by the Holy Spirit that you would reveal to us the truth, that you would help us, Lord, to see who you are, that we might, we might be comforted by you, that we might give all of our sorrows to you, that we might be comforted fully. Be with us, Lord, tonight. Help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when we're at our most vulnerable, when we're suffering the most, I believe that this is when we struggle to see the good news as good the most. You know, that makes sense, right? After all, these are the times when we have the greatest tests to our faith. 
You know, it's not in the easy times, although in the easy times it is easy to forget about God as well. But in the really hard times, we tend to look at God and wonder, where's he at? You know, what's he doing during these times? And in these times, we don't necessarily find ourselves lifted out of darkness by being told that everything will be okay. Like in these times, if our friends come to us and say, everything will be okay and just pat us on the back, it's not like, oh yeah, it is okay, you know, and then we just move on from there. The night often feels a little bit too long, even if we know logically that at some point the sun's gonna rise again. But if we're not able to actually fall asleep, the dark feels a little bit endless, you know, for the sleepless one, when there's no one to actually keep watch with us throughout the night. Especially in those lonely times, we find it so hard to know that morning will come again. Now, we're often reminded in these times by our good friends, by people at church, that we're not alone. You know, we do get told that, and that is absolutely true, we're not alone, that God is with us. And we wonder though, why doesn't God just take away the pain and suffering? It'd be so easy, it's done. You know, it'd be so easy for him to do that. Why doesn't he just make us invulnerable? And we wonder about this God, whether we know him at all. When we wanna know what God is like, we look to Jesus. We must look to Jesus to know what God is like. God exists in unapproachable light. We as humanity have no hope of approaching it and yet he invites us near through his son Jesus. We see the God who doesn't avoid these hard questions and even harder times. He doesn't give just trite answers and token encouragement in these times either. He doesn't keep us and our problems at arm's length. He draws near. We see that God is the God who enters in into our own vulnerability and our suffering. Isaiah tells us about uh, who Jesus is in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. He's acquainted with sorrow, no stranger to grief. He knows what it means to be in poverty. He was born into it. He knows suffering and loneliness as well. He suffered not only in his own flesh from the likes of the rest of humanity, but he suffered in his heart as he saw the devastation of the effects of sin around him as well. John mentioned it earlier during pre-service prayer when he watched as his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded, when he saw as his friend Lazarus died. And then at the end of his life on earth, he dies a criminal's death despite being innocent lonely and abandoned by everyone around him. Even in our passage today, we find Jesus alone as he faces his impending death. So Luke 22, 44 to 45, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. This is God. His work on earth isn't just about healing the sick. His work on earth isn't just about opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead. 
It's entering into our vulnerability. Looking to God the Father like we do. Exhausted. Suffering. Praying. He knows what's to come, and so he asks the Father to spare him. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So through the night, he prayed and he prayed. He's weeping, sweat becoming like drops of blood falling to the ground. And yet he didn't turn away. Like imagine being in this much anguish and he doesn't turn away. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And then soon after this, Jesus was tortured to death on a cross. Here's the degree to which Jesus identifies with you in your vulnerability, the way he enters into your vulnerability. Mark chapter 15 reads, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Kind of a random verse as you're reading about Jesus' crucifixion, right? As Jesus was about to be crucified, we're told that the soldiers tried to give him this bitter wine, okay? So in another gospel, it just talks about bitter wine. Here it tells us that it was bitter because it was mixed with myrrh. Myrrh, if you remember from the nativity scene, was one of the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus. It's, if you don't know what myrrh is, I don't think a lot of us know what myrrh is because we don't really use it these days. It's a resin that comes from a tree being wounded deep enough through the outer layers of bark and sapwood. And then myrrh is harvested by doing this repeatedly, wounding this tree again and again until the tree bleeds enough for you to have myrrh. Like there's, there's some symbolic parallels here with God himself, but we won't spend time on that tonight. But why was myrrh mixed with wine? Back in these times, wine was mixed with myrrh to be used as a painkiller. So soldiers often use this. It's very cheap. It's an easy way to get the edge off. It was often used to ease the pain of the suffering of the dead or of the dying. So usually for those about to be crucified. So when Jesus refuses to drink the wine and the myrrh at his crucifixion, he's refusing anything that's about to dull the suffering that he's about to embark into, that he's about to endure for our salvation. This is really crucial because theologically, our sin against the perfect, holy, sinless God requires perfect justice as well. Extreme punishment. And so Jesus refuses anything that would lessen the pain. Receiving the fullness of God's wrath, lest any of it be remaining for any of us in the future. But it's also crucial because it signifies that Jesus is entering completely into our suffering and our vulnerability as well. Sometimes, when we talk about the good news of God's grace, we don't dwell long enough on what it costs God. We tend to be a triumphal people. We tend to race ahead of the suffering and we tend to jump to the victory, to the triumph. Consider the world of suffering that we live in. Okay, like I used to hate watching the news. I still hate watching the news because there's so much suffering and just so much death, so much corruption, so much evil in the world. This is a world of hatred and murder, lies and deceit, and perhaps more personally for us, of hurts and regrets. 
This is the world as we twisted it with sin. And this is the world that Jesus willingly enters into. Who does that? Entering into our world means leaving the Father's house. He willingly does this. He leaves a place with no night in order to enter into our darkness. He's welcomed by humanity who tries to kill him from his very own birth all the way until he actually dies on that cross. During his lifetime on earth, Jesus wasn't some head in the clouds, you know, airy-fairy spiritual person just saying, everything's gonna be okay. He experienced, he felt, and he wept. He was no stranger to grief. He grieved to the point, scripture tells us, of animalistic sounds coming from his throat. He no longer sounded even human as he wept. There's only been two times in my life when I've heard uh, weeping to the point of wailing. I've been in the presence of someone who was so badly grieved that they no longer sounded human. Okay, once was when my mother received the news that her father passed away. Okay, we were living overseas and so she wasn't able to see him before he passed. It's really rare that I see my mom cry. She's quite strong. And then to hear those guttural sounds, I just kind of ran out of my room and I find it's my mom making these sounds. And my dad's trying his best to console her. I probably should have asked for her permission to talk about that. She's watching this. Do you know what this kind of grief sounds like? God knows what this kind of grief sounds like. God knows what this kind of gr grief feels like to an infinite degree. Think about us as humanity and as we compare with the human next to us and we talk about empathy. We talk about empathetic people and more logical people, let's say. And we think about the empathetic people and how they seem to feel more of the pain. God is empathetic to perfection. He is an eternal one. He feels our pain to the nth degree. He didn't keep bad things to happen even from himself. To say that Jesus enters into our suffering and our vulnerability is to say that we know that God has felt pain. He knows our pain, and because of this, he was and will always be our hope when we suffer. So how do we receive hope from this? We know that God has suffered with us by entering into our world that he knows our pain, he knows greater suffering and vulnerability than we'll ever know, and some of us might receive some solace in our suffering from this as well. But how do we actually derive hope from this? You know, if we're not people that just, you know, misery loves company, how do we actually derive hope from this? Just as Jesus entered into our story, we enter into his. In each of our lives, we carry the much bigger story of scripture, of God and the church. As we read the Bible together, as we pray together, as we spend time with one another in fellowship, more and more of this story is revealed. Although in our times of suffering and vulnerability, we struggle most with faith, we're unable to see the good news as good, it's in these times 
that we can truly enter into the story of God and the church by going to the, the liturgies, the practices that we do as a church, the practices that the ancient church has left for us. And we can turn to the words and the prayers that have been left throughout history for us, especially in the times when we don't have words and prayers of our own. When we do this, what we're acknowledging is that our story isn't the end story. There's a greater story beyond this. It's not the most central thing. We're not the main character. And then we allow ourselves to be shaped by God in the work of faith. If brothers and sisters around us in the church are suffering and they can't pray, we the church can come together and say, here are prayers as we pray for them on their behalf. When we find in ourselves an inability to worship, we enter in and the church sings over us and the words of faith cover us. When you can't believe, then God the Father himself invites us to the table once again to be fed. And this journey of faith is an impossible one to walk on your own. Like if you try to do this just through our online medium, which is a really great practice that we have, which is a really great tool that we have, we won't be able to do it. We're doing it on our own. It's no wonder Jesus wanted for his friends to be awake with him, praying with him. The verses that we read tonight. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Jesus, in his most vulnerable time, suffered this loneliness so that we would never have to be alone again. Do you realize this? In the thousands of years of the church's existence, prayers and ways of worship have been passed down to us. Why? Because they're guideposts to us. They guide us along when we can't walk on our own. That we can continue to walk this journey of faith until we get home to the Father's side. And Jesus' work continues on even today, in our everyday. He has gone from our side so that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, can come to us. And we find in Him, we find in this God, He's here with us in the present. This very moment, this very place, He's with us in our suffering, He's with us in our vulnerability today. Tonight, as you sit here on Good Friday, He's with us. And even as in our suffering, we enter into the fullness of Jesus' life through the Holy Spirit. New life, when the good news doesn't feel so good, when you're struggling in your suffering, when you're struggling in your vulnerability, come together and enter into Jesus' life all together. Let him provide the answer to you. Tonight, if you have never made that commitment or if you've walked away at any point, let him answer that question for you tonight of whether or not he can be trusted, whether or not he's good, whether or not he's worthy of following. 
This Sunday morning is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. We're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection together, and we're going to walk the guideposts of faith together. And we're also going to take the invitation to the Father's table together. For now, what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of extended time in prayer. You know, the praise team is going to come up and they're going to uh, play some songs. They're not going to sing, so you can really focus on praying. And during this time of prayer, I encourage you, really enter into your own vulnerability. I know often we can just put up a mask, put up a shield around ourselves, but enter into your vulnerability and find that Jesus is there waiting for you. He is entered in first. Talk to him about what you're most afraid of. What it is that make you doubt him. What it is that you grieve over. As he's entered into your life, accept his invitation to enter into Jesus' life as well. And see that Jesus, as he weeps, he weeps to a much greater degree than you. And he has room enough on his shoulder for you. Let's pray.
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Sovereign God, we confess that there are often times that the good news does not feel good. That said, we remind ourselves of the night where you might have also felt this. We thank you that you are a kind and compassionate God who enters into our story that, so that we can enter into yours. We take time to remember and reflect on what your son experienced in the darkness of that garden. The prayers that he cried into the midnight whilst his closest friends, also being grieved, had also fallen asleep. Being one who has been tempted in every way that we have, your son would have surely also faced the temptation to just let the whole thing go, to go back on the promise, to renege on the covenant, to go back into the glory of his father. Your son would have surely felt the burden of humanness, the dread of what's to come, the dread of being forsaken by you, he would have surely felt the human longing to simply cease. But we praise you for your son's obedience to press on, to fulfill the promise, to fulfill the covenant, so that we can be reconciled with you, so that by his wounds that we can be healed. And so in our times of feeling where the good news does not feel good, we reflect on a time where your son might have also felt this and we subscribe to that narrative, how he pressed on, allowing us to be reconciled to you. God, can we reflect on this truth in the upcoming days as we lead up to Easter Sunday and may that really give us a greater zeal that you're a God that doesn't just give us a simple solution but works within the tension that works within the mess to allow us to keep pressing on like your son did may you conform us into the image of your son more and more in your son's most precious name we pray amen that concludes our Good Friday service. Thank you for joining us. We will be regathering here on Sunday per usual at 10 a.m. to really celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you.